And welcome to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman. And today, my guest is a 2000 graduate from Quincy University, Dan Overmeyer. Dan is currently the Vice President of Options Regulation at CBOE Global Markets. Dan has had over 22 years of industry experience in regulatory compliance, operational risk, and trading with respect to options, futures, and equity securities. In today's episode, we're going to talk with Dan about his time as a student at QU, and what he has been doing since graduation. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Let's start back at the beginning, not, not that many years ago, but why did you choose to attend Quincy University? I chose to go to Quincy University. One, um, I, was, I played football in high school. Um, Quincy had offered me a scholarship to play football at Quincy. At the time, we were Division Two. And I was actually, I was looking for a smaller school, more personable staff, more personable professors, get to know everybody kind of at the school. I went to a high school of like 3,000 students, which was okay, but little big, wanted a little bit smaller experience, and um, Quincy hit all the marks, too. It wasn't just a college town, it was a town with a college in it, and it was, I thought it was a pretty cool place when I saw it the first time, so. It kind of sealed the deal for me. So what is it that you love the most about QU? What I love most about QU is, is that aspect is that it was, um, well, one, the friends and the professors that I met there and everything, um, and the fact that the, the town didn't support, or the college didn't support the whole town. The town was already there. There was a lot of history. I love history. Um, and I liked, you know, I liked fishing. I liked hunting. You had tons of tons of areas around there where I could go do those activities. And um, I, I just, that's what drew me to the town. That's what drew me to the college. That's what I love most about it. I mean, the people, the people was what made the experience the best for me. What about some of those memories? Do you, do you have some favorite ones, maybe of some professors or, um, you know, some events on campus? Favorite memories were either when I was playing football, going to the football games with a lot. Of, I had a lot of friends on the team, and after I had given up football, going to those games, going to the sporting events, going to the other activities on there. Uh, like I said, it was the friends and the professors that made it what it was for me, which was a great experience. Um, one of my memories of I remember playing with uh, playing pool with Dr. Mitch Ellison. Um, <laughs> Same where way. else do you get? <laughs> Where else do you get those experiences where, you know, you're going to go play pool for four or five hours and have a couple beers with your college professor? I mean, it was just a down-to-earth kind of place. That's what what I loved about it. And you you earned a degree in finance while you were here. And tell us what you did after you graduated. So after I graduated, um, I went down to the CBOE trading floor, which... CBOE, where I currently work, it stands for the Chicago Board Options Exchange. The Options Exchange started in the, I believe, in 1974 in uh, the lunchroom of the Board of Trade. And they started trading options there, and it eventually moved across the street. It had its own trading floor. I had an internship while I was at Quincy University at CBOE, and I realized I wanted to be a trader, and I wanted to trade options. I wanted to trade derivatives. So after graduation, I, well, I take, take that back. On Christmas break, my senior year, I had locked down 
a trading position with Stafford Training uh, to begin in June of the year I graduated, and that's where I started. I started as a clerk. I was clerking for a group of guys. They ran a uh, option specialist post. One of our products is Enron, um, which, as I as I progressed through my career a little bit, trading on the trading floor, I stayed with Stafford Trading for a while, and um, as the, as I moved out of being a clerk and into a trader, one of the stocks that I traded was Enron, and I got to trade Enron until until we ran out of puts, which puts are the right to sell. Um, we ran out of out of puts when the stock went under a dollar. So that's kind of one of the trading claims to fame that I have is I was one of the traders that traded options on Enron. Interesting. Well, what types of things did you learn from that first job? Oh, um, a ton from the trading experience. Some of it is uh, the personalities and. Uh, a trading job isn't necessarily like a corporate job, if you will. Um, it's a lot of, it relates to ties into sports really nicely. A lot of action, quick on your feet, things like that. Um, we were also in a trading, trading floor, so it was a little bit more physical than today's trading in an electronic environment. Where in physical, that you're standing next to other people and it paid to be a bigger guy maybe louder guy and <laughs> your whole objective was to get on trades and there were a couple fights here and there uh, what did i learn from there i learned my initial first five years probably on the job is how to do math really good in my head and not necessarily pick stocks but it took me probably three or four years after college to really really master um, options trading and figuring out sort of your own strategy with it what sort of skill sets do you think make a good trader? Number one would be, in my opinion, discipline. Um, it's funny as I have two little kids and I'm trying to get them into picking stocks and things like this. And as you have, as they pick something, I always tell them, you know, where's your exit strategy? What's your plan with this? And you know, my, my, my daughter, oh, I love Starbucks. And my little guy loves Walmart because he's got Nerf guns and stuff there. And I'm like, well, what's your exit strategy? You know, they, I'm trying to trying to corral them into that, but it's it's a it's a give and take kind of thing here with them. <laughs> but it, it for me, it's the biggest thing is discipline. Um, it's a it's a old Kenny Rogers song. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to uh, walk away, and know when to run. Uh, that tied really nicely into trading. You had to have a plan going in and you know like best laid plans sometimes you have to throw it in the garbage can and start over but it was being disciplined knowing when knowing when enough was enough and being able to get out well let's take a brief break right here and when we come back we're going to talk more with dan about a, a shift in uh focus uh in his career back in the uh 2000s so stay with us you're listening to from the hawk's nest QU Hawk fans never have to miss a game. QU Hawk games are live and on demand at the GLVC Sports Network, completely free of charge. To watch a game, visit QUHawks.com, click on the Media tab, then select the GLVC Sports Network. The 
GLVC Sports Network is available on both your desktop and mobile devices, as well as four over-the-top platforms, including Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. For game schedules and the latest news, visit QUHawks.com and follow Quincy University Hawks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And welcome back to From the Hawk's Nest. Today, my guest is 2000 QU graduate Dan Overmeyer. And Dan is currently the Vice President of Options Regulation at CBOE Global Markets. And Dan, in, in 2007, you changed your career focus. Tell me, first of all, what led to that decision um, to, to uh, move in a different direction? Well, what led at that moment was... Um what, what I was doing for a living is I had some, I was trading off floor a little bit and on a trading floor for a little bit. And that was starting to be the tip of the iceberg of the demise of the trading floors, if you will, where not, a, it, you know, right now I work at CBOE Global Markets. There's a trading floor and it's a fraction of what it used to be. You used to have, you know, I don't know, 10,000 people down on the floor. Now I think we have maybe a thousand, if that. Um, so you had automation coming into the marketplace, which I have been trading now for about seven years. And it was a critical point in my career of, do I make this giant investment in technology to be able to compete with firms like where I, where I, where I worked for, for a while, IMC Financial Markets, which is a global high-frequency trading forum, do, do you put your money behind behind yourself to compete with them, or is it time to fold your cards? Um, I personally, I took a I took the, the the outlook that you have to know when you're going to get beat, and I was going to get beat from a technology standpoint, so it was time to throw in my cards there. The other thing was I had gotten married, and we were talking about having a family and things like this, and trading. Trading is a difficult career, uh, especially back in the day when it was on the trading floor. That's lots of ups and downs, things like that. And not exactly what I thought would be an ideal career, uh, at least for me, as a family person, as a family man. So it was time to shift focus. It was extremely difficult. You had to, when I shifted careers, you took a, I took a, a hit pay-wise, but I felt that moving into regulation was probably a probably a good bet in the fact that I didn't see regulation necessarily going away or narrowing. If anything, I thought it would be expanding. And that, I guess, not necessarily prophecy, but thought process held true as we had at the time in 2008. We had a, a, a Democratic president come in, he expanded regulation, you had another Republican come in, they continued expand, expansion of regulation, and here it's set. So it seems like it was a good trade for me. Well, tell us a little bit about what a regulator does on a day-to-day basis. Sure. So, what a regulator does is it, it, it doesn't sound like a fast, it's, well, it's not a fast-paced job like a trader, for sure. However, a regulator is key to the inter- the integral in, in, of the marketplace. 
it gives markets credibility, if you will. Um, if, if you've ever seen on TV or bought anything off the internet where it seems like it was a fake market, unlike, you know, hey, Amazon, they have a process, they're regulated by the SEC, things like this. They're not, they regulate their own marketplace. They guarantee buyers and sellers and deliveries of goods and things like that. Um, that's what a regulator does. We don't necessarily guarantee it, but there's rules that are upheld in an exchange where buyers and sellers come to meet and we enforce those rules. And you have to be a member of the exchange to trade on our exchange. So there's some accountability that we can hold to those members in keeping that marketplace, uh, the integrity of that marketplace. So you ended up uh, obviously at your current position working for CBOE Global Markets. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what you do there. Sure. So, what happened and how I got to CBOE Global Markets, um, I started out, so after I got done trading, I actually, this is my second stint at CBOE, and my first stint, I was an investigator. So, right in the, in the trenches, refining cases, combing through data, things like that, um, which opened doors where I, I, I worked at, I, t- I said earlier, I worked at a high frequency trading firm. So that fr- that high frequency trading firm was IMC Global Markets, and, or excuse me, IMC Financial Markets. And they hired me as their CCO, which is the chief compliance officer, which I flipped basically from being a regulator to that member firm, kind of trading firm again, member firm of the exchange, and I worked in the compliance role, which I interfaced with the regulators on a day-to-day basis. So um, I went from there. And then how did I end up at C- back at CBOE Global Markets? My first sent around, um, our, current, our current chief regulatory officer who sits at CBOE Global Markets today, on my first go-around, which was also coincidentally his first go-around, he was a junior enforcement attorney. So being an investigator and he was an enforcement attorney, we worked hand in hand in glove together, really. I would do the work on the investigations like a like a police officer would and then they flip it to a district attorney. I would flip all my work to the enforcement council. And we thought a lot alike. We had a lot of respect for each other. And when CBOE Global Markets was pulling back their entire regulatory program, they had outsourced it for a few years. And they were going to build it back up. They had hired um, the current CRO to build that program up, which he coincidentally came and knocked on my door and said, would you ever think about coming back to CBOE Global Markets? And I said, well, of course. What would, what's the opportunity? And he said, you have an opportunity to kind of have your fingerprints all over an entire regulatory program, overseeing surveillance, overseeing investigations, we have a cross-market team that looks at a handful of our proprietary products, and we also have a data team as well. Well, you've also served on several different ethics and business conduct committees. Tell us about the role that those committees play and, and why it was important you feel to be a part of those. Sure. So those committees that I were on, that I were, on were the business conduct committees, which that ties into the regulation piece as well. Those conduct committees, as I said, as an investigator would bring a case, they would give that to an enforcement attorney. As the enforcement attorney puts their casework together, um, if the member firm that violated 
exchange rules or FTC rules or something like this, if they didn't agree to it and they say, you know what, hey, yeah, you caught us, we were speeding, we blew a red light, you got us. If they decide, if they if they go that route where they say they admit the guilt, it's sort of closed off and done. Um, where a business conduct committee comes into play is if the firm wants to fight it and say, no, we didn't do anything wrong. So that committee actually weighs the facts and circumstances of each and every case that comes before them and makes a decision. Do you side with the firm or do you side with the, with the regulator? And from there, you also authorize um, monetary fines and suspensions and things like this as well. It was, that's what, that's what they play. What was important for me at the time, I was the CCO of a high-frequency trading firm where, although important in, in having their name associated with a committee and things like this, I felt as the CCO, as is, it, was, it was somewhat important to see or have a look under the hood of like, these are the type of cases that are coming. This is the kind of action that other firms are doing. And it's one of those things like you learn from watching film, playing sports and things like this. You learn not to make mistakes. That's where I took personally from the committee. It's a give and take. You, you get my time. You get my knowledge. What I get out of that is I get to see the film of what not to do. And exactly. just apply and apply that to the firm. So it worked out really well. Well, what has been maybe the most influential experience in your life so far? Oh, this, that's a tough question most influential i'd have to say it's a series of things now that um now that i'm older and you look back in life and stuff i'd say some of the the most influential things were were actually i mean through sports and athletics a little bit where maybe not maybe not the most athletically talented person but it was sort of it was sort of drilled into my head like the work ethic like you don't you don't stop working. You don't let somebody else outwork you. So it was the work ethic from athletics that carried me through college. Um, I wasn't the best student, but my work ethic got the job done. And that was something I carried out after, after I graduated. I looked at the trading floor, and you get put into the trading floor, and that's when you think about it, that's competition at its finest. That's, people make their living every single day down there fighting for dollars and that was one of the things I said was there's always going to be someone smarter than you but if if, if if my work ethic and my drive I just got it in my head that I'm going to outwork the other person and at least if I lost you gave it everything you had so I guess it was a, it, the most influential thing would probably be having that just beaten into my head that you know don't ever give up and keep fighting so if you had to um, choose some words of advice for fellow alums or maybe even students uh, who are getting ready to graduate, what, what would you have to say to them? I'd have to say, tie into what I just said a little bit about hard work. Hard work does pay off. Um, there is no easy magic bullet, if you will, to get you to the top. I mean, where I'm at now, I see and I have, the, have interviews with Lots of people looking for jobs and things like this. And even as it relates to careers and things like this, like nothing's going to happen for these, for people overnight. Um, did I, 
did I at some point in, in my life see myself as the vice president of options regulation? I hoped to ascertain that role and through hard work and perseverance and things like this, that's what I pushed for. Um, so I, in a nutshell, hard work does pay off. And as always, it's a great day to be a hawk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dan, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to be our guest today. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. It was all mine. Thank you. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of From the Hawk's Nest, where we listen to stories from alumni, Franciscans, uh, and other community members of the Quincy University family about their QU journey. I'm Matt Bergman, and it's always a great day to be a hawk. <laughs>